Solomon in the house, highest maintenance guest I've had so far. <laughs> Welcome, champion. Enjoying that coffee. Having us. Yeah, Enjoying that coffee. Nice coffee. You may come from an Italian man. Yes, thank you. Now, I did mention I, I, we were discussing, I sent you a couple of messages earlier regarding gelato. Oh, yeah, what's going on? Uh, it's got, you, I, I said if you respond to me within the next 10 minutes, oh, I'll have a tub that. ready. But I, I will that. arrange arrange something. Now, your favorite that you chose uh, was the chocolate and lemon. El Clásico, Sam. El Clásico. The lemon and chocolate. Any particular reason you like the lemon and chocolate? No, it just goes good. It just goes good. But you, that is a classic, is it? A yeah, common classic? that's the oldest marriage in gelato, Sam. Yeah, think Sweet and sour. Yes, I'm with you. And then I was just thinking as I was coming home from the shop, I thought, sweet and sour. I cannot get one bad word from the boxing community about Sam Solomon. Everyone yeah, loves you. Well, I'll take that. With a fight game. Is it good to be too nice? When we're looking at other fighters that are the lemon? To be honest, just to be yourself. And if yourself is not nice, then uh, you try to not be yourself and be a nice person. But just usually being yourself, um, the best comes out of you. Well, with the lemon, I'm, think I'm thinking of some other fighters that aggravate fans and fans are actually paying to hopefully watch them get beaten. Yeah, You've come across people like you know, that. That's like a, a strategy of its own. Each to their own, like... My money wouldn't come before, you know, my um, personality and, and changing my attitude to, to put on a clinic outside of the ring in terms of bagging and, and bad-mouthing when it's just going to put more money in my pocket and that's all it's good for. And I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be uh, happy, humble, do what I love to do, and all that will come in the end. You don't have to, for all sportsmen and all kids about to become champions in their in their league and what they do take the advice of knowing that you just give the best that you can give and be humble by doing it and uh you don't need to do all that to uh to get there and you will get there in the end it just might take a bit longer than someone who's um shooting their mouth off mouth off but at least you're gonna get the best of both worlds you'll be loved and respected and you'll you, you'll um, be financially set now tell me the truth have you ever ever Tried putting on a bit of a show and talked a bit of shit in the privacy of your own home, Sam. Uh, no, no, no. Even, no, even, even. No, no, no. Like as in, no, no, no. Yes, like a theatre. Like trying to. No, like uh, when I fought Anthony Mundine, it was him and I were going toe to toe outside of the ring as well. And um, he said his part, and I said my part, and we said our part, and we both backed up our words with how we fought. We both gave a good fight, and it was a special thing in terms of showing the public and sportsmen of the future that you can have that kind of mix up between each other before before a fight and after a fight and still be best friends. I've seen you step into the ring in the past wearing a football jumper. You remember? Yeah. Which football jumper you've been stepping into the ring? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, Richmond's my team since I grew up, since I was a kid, and I trained a lot of the footballers in Collingwood, so kind of had the best of both worlds there. And now I've got both teams in the finals. It's very good. My memory serves me correct. You did step in the ring wearing a Collingwood jumper. Colin with the actually. Yes. It, it was, I in was the past. doing work with Didek yes. and Paul Lecuria and, and a few of the other boys and more liquors. I'm really close to the liquor and we used to do some, a lot of work together and had a lot of fun outside of the outside of our sport of footy and boxing. And, and uh, yeah, it was a special moment because we won a big fight, that fight. That was a IBF Pan Pacific title. The winner, the winner got a number three spot in the world at that time. 
So with that, I just want to go quickly back to the jump because you said you're not into talking shit or upsetting anyone on the way, but walking into the ring with a Collingwood <laughs> jumper. Come on, Sam. You're going to lose more than half the people. We're all there for you. Yeah. But you stepped in with a Collingwood jumper, Sam, psychologically. You obviously didn't think about that. You thought you'd be loyal to your friends. Uh, but jumping in, do you think, as a Carlton supporter, I wanted yeah. you to win any less that night? Probably not loyal to my <laughs> friend. More loyal to the passion, passion that I love me footy. I mean, I absolutely love football. Anyone will tell you my um, PR machine on my left here who has a mic and won't pick it up, she'll tell you herself. I 24-7 talk, I love talking about footy and, and uh, watching the game. And I record the game when, when my, my team's playing and I'm out and about and can't can't be there whether I'm teaching a boxing class or I'm... I'm training myself or whatever I've got something on. I've got to be at a function that I can't get out of or something like that. I will be uh, I'll be watching the game when I get home. So officially it is the Tigers that you follow? Yes. That that uh, Collingwood jumper entrance was a blemish to your career? Not at all. It was <laughs> a beautiful blemish. And if it was a blemish, it's a beautiful one because uh, we're in the finals. We're both, they're both in the finals. I couldn't be happier. I don't think there's a lot of people going to argue with you to your face, Sam. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> that you're allowed to barrack for two sides. Good point. <laughs> My boys follow Carlton, but I said, listen, this uh, you've gone through a, quite a tough period. If you want to change sides, you can. There's always... <laughs> There's always hope. Have and do you want to hear something funny? Geelong is my wife's my wife's okay. team. And so when Geelong's playing, if they're playing my team, of course, obviously my team. But when Geelong's playing and I'm with my wife, I'm, I'm cheering them on. And, well, of and, course. Uh, and funny, uh, we bring up Geelong. Uh, Patrick Dangerfield's my, apart from Dusty, is one of my favourite players to uh, to watch because just actually he's exactly like Dusty in terms of going hard for the ball and centre of gravity. And is that, yeah, he's something special. So your children, what have you got? What football teams do they follow, Sam? Yeah, they could poor, poor kid. I've confused him. <laughs> I've confused my son. No, he's, he, he's a Tigers as well. Thank goodness. At least he's not calling with Sam. <laughs> so at, at his age, you were following the Tigers? At yes, your son's age, yes, yes? Yes, Kevin Bartlett, Jim Jess, Morris Rioli, Mark Lee, Dale Waitman, all my favourites. Jeff Raines. From back in the day. Jeff Raines, mate, all the business, the, uh, the, the play cards, the business cards. We were talking about good-looking men earlier, and we mentioned George Clooney was a good-looking man, and Richard Gere. Yeah. Jeff Raines has got to be up there with the good-looking <laughs> Jeff Raines. <laughs> I haven't seen what Jeff Raines looks like today, but... Uh, oh, not today. When early. <laughs> he was the most beautiful man in football, was wasn't he? He, he, he went to mate. Collingwood. I was happy that he could kick a footy. That's all okay. I cared about. <laughs> Were there any beautiful men that you followed in football early in your, as a child? Um, big Best fan. looking footballer. Big, 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 big fan. I was always a big fan of Morris Rioli. Don't have to be a little. Oh, of course. He was the best of the best, mate. Yeah, Morris. And then look at Cyril now. He's a nephew, might be. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, just great to watch. I mean, okay, I don't go for Hawthorne, but when he's playing, nice, I like to watch him play well, but not when he plays my team. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Now, as a child, uh, you what was football one of your sports that you partook yes. in? Yeah? Yes, I have two, two or three friends of mine, Hassan Kiki and, and Muhammad Kiki and a few other uh, good friends that I played with uh, in footy and um, you know, I played a lot of cricket with uh, a friend of mine, Murph, Adam Murphy and that. But um, but uh, all, all those, I played a lot of sport, loved sport. Very happy now to be able to pass it, pass some of what I've learnt in my sports with my son and uh, and hopefully one day get him up there. When did the martial arts can uh, start? You, oh, Dad took you? me up there. I was 12 years old, martial yep. arts, taekwondo with Jamal Hassan. Yep. Five years with him and... Uh, I think I got after I got my black belt third Dan or second Dan or something like that, like 30 something years ago. Moved, we moved to Frankston from Brunswick, and so it's an hour and a bit away from Jamal. So 
I had to move to train a different martial arts. I thought I'd chose Andy Kai and Billy Manet became my martial arts instructor there and um, got my black belt in that and then decided to take up amateur boxing at the age of 15. And while I was boxing, I thought I'd throw a bit of kickboxing in there as well. Mixed them both up, ended up with 84 fights in the amateur boxing, 44 in the kickboxing and uh, then said, no, nah, I'm turning pro into boxing. I love the boxing, and so kickboxing was it a matter of uh, you'd had enough, or you you felt that the, there was no more future going forwards? No, nah, none of that. I no. would have I'd still be kickboxing today. Really? Could be. I loved the sport. Still love the sport. Still mm. kick. Still do a lot of kicking for fitness and that, and for the fun, of course. But uh, yeah, no, nah, the shins, the shins, and the quads, and the and the everything breaks. I mean, I've had every broken bone in my body from footy and and kickboxing. Nothing in boxing, you know, apart from my nose. Um, nothing's been broken, and it's only been broken once in boxing. So fortunately, I've been able to learn how to duck before I learned how to punch. But, uh, yeah, the, the kickboxing and the footy, the body can't handle it after thirty. It's, and as you've probably seen with your foot, with, with the footballs of today and the kickboxers, they're all retired in their late twenties, early thirties. So oh, I'd be I'm, and I joined the joined the retirement club at thirty two in the kickboxing boxing in the kickboxing kick with football. Yeah. So so with kickboxing, what do you think hasn't gotten bigger? Because it, it had a little bit of a heyday with Stan the Man in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, you know, Dennis Alexio come down. Yeah. Uh, that was a great great for kickboxing. But yeah. in general, kickboxing in itself, why isn't it a bigger sport? It's funny you bring that up uh, with the heavyweights because Australia haven't had a, a, a legendary heavyweight since Sam Greco and, um, and Stan the Man in terms of legendary status. You know, we've had quite a few pretty good ones Australian champions but never not in the world in the world rankings and and the fighter that used to train out of my gym now he, he's based somewhere else he's uh, a Kyle Webb he's that guy can fight you watch out for him he's uh, he's actually having a fight in a week's time Kyle Webb um, I call him the Webb Slinger his real name's Kyle the Wolf Webb his fight name and um, yeah look out for him he's the next standard man in terms of he hasn't had his publicity of it yet but with with seven fights seven wins seven knockouts he's going to be something super special look so, out for him so he's an australian he holds a belt australian Kyle. yes victorian champion originally now australian champion and going for world world status world world stardom should i say so he was formerly a kickboxer Kick, exactly thai boxer all right yeah done done some training camps in thailand can do everything he's a and um, I worked on his sweet, sweet lines of boxing for him. He's now put the two together, and he's um, as a boxer, he's eight and oh, sorry, eight and oh, as a boxer, eight knockouts, but um, can do both. And um, yeah, so he's something special. So, as a former kickboxer, as in Kyle, a former kickboxer, and yep. you as well, yep. do you feel with do you click better with Kyle because of your background, your kickboxing backgrounds? Do you understand or yes, how his head Agree. works? Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because we were similar in in terms of we won all our fights. I won. I was sixteen and zero as well as he was undefeated. I was undefeated sixteen and zero, and um, and it was so important for me to be able to to box because I was really good with the kicks thanks to Jamal Hassan the kicks were really good and and then I'm mixing it up with Zendu with Zendu Guy Karate with Billy Manet I just wanted to go a little bit further so once I started taking up boxing and of course Dave Hitchcock in the end of the day gave me the sweet science of being able to hit and not get hit and then hit again in saying that it was a type of fight style that was unbeatable in in if you can get it right because you're never in front of your opponent long enough for them to get a shot. And Dave Hitchcock's a sweet science. A he was nicknamed the pioneer of the sport. You know, everyone's got their nicknames and that. Just to, like almost like a sarcasm. His was genuine pioneer of the sport. 
So you're giving him credit for the style that has exactly. been called awkward, Absolutely. unorthodox, herky-jerky. Thank you to Dave Hitchcock. Was, yeah, there's no – Dave Hitchcock in a textbook does everything wrong and everything wrong to make everything right, if that makes any sense whatsoever. So he's uh, – Eddie Betts that kicks him or, or uh, should I say Buddy Franklin as well that doesn't kick him straight like – he doesn't kick him like a Tony Lockett and will give you the same, if not – better in some ways um, result because of his unorthodox way of kicking a footy, which fruitions when you're um, under pressure and, and, uh, someone's, and someone's tagging you on a footy field or someone's got your measure in, 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 in boxing. They get your measure for about a few seconds, then you, you change to, like uh, Shane Warne, for example, you never pick where that ball's going to come from. There's been a million leg spinners in the past, but he just throws them from everywhere. Yeah. So when you arrived uh, with Dave, he'd never actually tried to change anything. He's just trying to develop what you have. Is that how it worked? Because I figured my question was, do you think you've frustrated more trainers or more fighters <laughs> with your style? <laughs> great question. Yeah. And it's a great, actually, it's a great analogy, should I say. Yeah. Um, you can use that, that Sam, any time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's bang on because Dave, Dave, everyone used to give uh, Dave a pat on the back just for the fact that he was able to, uh, through my martial arts, taekwondo, karate, and open-minded to so many other types of, of uh, combat sport, because I was already unorthodox and awkward and all over the joint, he had to tweak it so that it works for for what I do. Mm. And then had to double tweak it because he had to, from kickboxing, turn it to boxing. So I started in kickboxing, had all my fighters in kickboxing. Then he had to turn it to boxing, which would have been very tough. But if he had to change any of it, tried to make me he's, he was the type of fighter came through and took any fighter out David Hitchcock that's how he won all his fights so for him to be able to put his stuff with my stuff and mix it up and put it and put it together and and uh he made he did make me a package it was really good uh, a really good uh should I say journey so he was the mad scientist involved sweet science in the creation the is so you had 63 bouts when did Dave come into the picture in regards to training you First fight, so from 1991, he he was in my corner. okay, yeah. In, so so am, as an this amateur, is boxing, pro. Yeah, boxing, boxing. Uh, in kickboxing, he was my third fight. So I was based in Frankston, and um, I was trained under Dave Berry. And after the second fight, Dave Berry, who has been in, who Dave Hitchcock has been in the corner for Dave Berry, Dave Berry had selflessly came up to me, pulled me aside, and said, "Sammy, there's so much." talent and opportunity for you out there i can only take you so far we're in a gym where there's no boxing ring we're in a gym where we're in an area in franks where there's no international or national sparring that's at the top level go i'll put you on to someone a guy by the name of dave hitchcock in the city which is uh it's about mm, an hour an hour and a bit from from uh from frankston to where i live to the city and no problem i took a train up Took an hour to get there, bandaged my hands up, did a bit of stretching, a few sit-ups and push-ups on the train. Got to the other end, done the training and on the way back. Another hour on the way back, probably got a bit of homework done before getting home in time for dinner and then uh, at school the next morning. So it was a great thing that Dayberry did for me. He changed my life in terms of the decision he made for me. So whereabouts was Dave's gym, Dave Hedgecock? At the underworld, it's a gym uh, in, in, uh, in Flinders Street. So okay. it was traveling from Frankston to Flinders Street. I was sort of near Chelsea, so it's an extra to less than 10 minutes from. That's the rich area. Yeah, think, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it is near the beach, then. 
so we, you, he took you on not as still as a kickboxer or as a boxer only, Dave's. No, kickboxer only. Kickboxer and then, only. And then, and then, and then yes, and then, and I was so. I was boxing under Frank Kinney mm. in the amateurs and the mm-hmm. boxing in the, the mid nineties, mm-hmm. all the way up to ninety nine, where um, nineteen ninety nine, where my boxing amateur boxing trainer passed away, Frank Kenny in Chelsea, and then uh, and then I moved to Harry Martin's in Rabin and continued on there until um, I turned pro. Yeah, but Dave Hitchcock, pretty much all my boxing pro career was in my corner and kickboxing. So he was there from your first pro fight, Dave? Yep, in 90, 90, 97. 97. 97. He was there at the Billboard Nightclub. <laughs> you remember? I do remember. You remember your first fight? That was, uh, that was uh, Heath Stanton. Yes. Yeah, very well done. You yeah. got the decision there. Yes, yes. UD. Decision there, unanimous. Do yeah. you remember the prep for that fight? No. Going, you, know, you don't remember no. the preparation? Hello. All I know that they've trained you hard. Very, yes. very hard. There's only one other guy that could match the the pace and the kind of training that Dave Hitchcock did. That was Paul Firefield. So they were both in the same boat. Mm-hmm. And um I wouldn't have I wouldn't have changed my my um if I was born again and had a second go at it, I'd still be with Dave. And um he's a great, great trainer and, and, and between Dave and, and Paul Firefield they were in the same league in terms of the professor the professors of, of the sport so i was just very fortunate to meet meet one of them what weight were you on your first bout so, always been 72 always 72. been middleweight stayed at middle i fought at light middleweight once and um and it it uh it killed me four four hours uh, four kilos nearly two hours in the sauna now i good i've got some information <laughs> about smart. your second fight sam and it definitely wasn't 72 that kilos was it. Your second, your second fight wasn't Sam. You oh, might, you're yeah, doing uh, a uh, I'm, yes. I'm, Hang on a second, yes, hang on. Yes, I was just yes. speaking to a few people, and yes. they said, "Just ask Sam about his second fight." <laughs> the cruiserweight. He yeah. definitely wasn't 72 kilos at the time. You fought a cruiserweight. Now, for the people that aren't aware, cruiserweight's 91 kilos. I can't imagine you at 200 that's pounds. That's the guy Sam. that my fighter we talked about, the standard man of uh, I think Kyle Webb. Yeah, that's right. So, can you give me a? Uh, I know how you got up. You had to get on the scales. Yeah. And you had to weigh in at 91 kilos or yeah. else they wouldn't. Uh, you've never been 91 kilos in your whole life, right, Sam? No. So how on earth did you get to 91 kilos? Not even 81. Uh, <laughs> not even 81. Not even, <laughs> so how did you get, how did, the, how did the scales show 91 kilos on that day? So I had, um, I jumped on the scales and put on some, put some weight in my shorts and, that, <laughs> and uh, made the weight. And I just had so much belief in my heart and myself that I could do it. And um, it was a bit looser back then, boxing loose in the terms of, it's a Michaela's word that she uses, um, loose is in sort of like not as the regulated and commissioned yeah. as it is now. Like now it's great. In the last probably 12, 13 years, it's been a different kind of regulation. So, so Mick uh, Ashton wasn't yeah. uh, overseeing the scales on that nah, day? It's sort of a bit, a bit laid back sort of thing and um, just jump on, jump off and whatever. There's no regulating the scales carefully and all that stuff so so i um yes i was able to do that comfortably and easily put in some weight in my shorts and jumped on the scales made 83 i think it was a was a lock if i had to if i made that weight they were going to be okay with it so i did make the weight and he was of course coming down from 95 or whatever to 91 and um yeah so for our listeners it was against peter kinsella and it was for the australian cruiserweight title in your second bout yes 3rd of june 1997 in southport rsl yeah it was nice history crazy. and you had 10 kilos of weights in your shorts 
and your jacket. Not ten, not ten. It was five kilos, yeah, really? six kilos, something like that. Yeah. So uh, I was told by your uh, a friend that gave me this information that your your sponsor at the time, the apparel sponsor, was black and blue. Yes. Yeah. Gary, and, you, yeah. and you had. Uh, did they design a pocket for those shorts no, for I those weights? You were the one just, kilo plates fit in there <laughs> because he put. Three and three and one and two in the other and bang you're in. I thought they were ahead of their time, black and blue, designing <laughs> weighted shorts. So Shit, you, that's not a bad idea. Thanks. You man. like that one? <laughs> okay. You like to ring the black and blue people. Yeah, and chat to my fighters about it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so you got that victory and you're a champion. Uh, you had a, an Australian title, your second bout. Yeah, what was the most special thing about it was. I didn't know till after it that it had never been done before. So it was a nice thing to, and I don't think it's ever been done since. So it's a nice thing to have a 12-round title fight. When It's funny, when I was in the US, boxing out of the US to continue on my career after my, I think it was my fifth fight, went to the US to continue my career up there. And um, and anyone I told was just sort of like thinking I was sarcastic and still wouldn't believe it. And because there was no internet back then, they couldn't go on quickly on a google and check it out so um everyone just sort of like so i didn't bother telling anyone anymore because they just laughed and didn't they thought it was sarcasm as in that you're an, you're an australian no, cruiserweight in, champion no, won an australian title yes. in, with 12 round in 12 in a 12 round fight in america it's unheard of unless you've had 15 16 fights you're not going to get a 12 round title fight so which is happening now that's so um but i didn't bother telling anyone anymore so as a trainer now of fighters of how many fights obviously your first bout was a four-rounder it's unheard of as you said to go straight to a 12-rounder in your second bout the progression for a fighter now with your experience what sort of uh, how many fours how many sixes how many eights do you give your fighters to progress to a 12-rounder you know if i had and if i had a fighter who's had 30 amateur fights and won 80 percent of them and got an opportunity, maybe not at the second pro fight, of course, but about the sixth or seventh fight, got a 12-round title fight, I'd, get, I'd take it on a heart, in a heartbeat. Because primary school to high school to uni, amateurs is a primary school. High school is a pros, then after 25 fights and a pros and a few national titles, you get a shot at a world title, 12-rounder, that's your university. So if they've done a full primary school and at a, at a high level primary school like as in they've, they've won 80% of the amateur fights against good fighters I could train them to be fit enough for a 12 rounder with the sweet science and ability they've learned through the amateurs because you can't teach someone a fight you can teach them how to fight but teach someone a fight now you have to actually be in there fighting adrenaline nerves crowd pressure different weighted gloves etc so there's a lot of stuff that you can't teach you just show them the way and then they get the experience of the amateurs then turning pro and fighting in the ring is the part that uh is the part that you can't teach so that's just experience like in anything like in footy like in tennis like in any other sport so in saying that i'd give that opportunity to a, to a kid who's had 30 amateur fights 25 wins fought some of the best and um, and he got an opportunity at six fights down the track to get a title fight. I'd take it for sure. So apart from Kyle Webb, uh, as far as talent is concerned in your own gym at the moment, that your prospects, you got uh, a few that you're working with, working on? Yes, yes. Um, right now, Adam Kaulis, uh he's won a Victorian title, um, looking at an Australian title very, very soon. Um, he's had the two losses in his uh, his, his, his ten fights, two losses, and... Uh, yeah, ten fights, two losses, no draws, and um, he's uh, he's going to be special. I've been training with him for five years now, um, in the amateurs that is, 
when he was going through the amateur ranks, and um, and then as a as a pro now, he's 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 doing everything he needs to do to win. He's learning the sweet science of it. He listens. He does all the stuff outside of boxing, the recovery, the ice baths, the stretching, the uh, all the stuff that uh, of the diet. Because um, I can't be around there twenty four seven, so I got to rely on him to do that. I can know if he's doing it or not by checking his weight all the time, seeing his fitness levels and that. Um, Adam K. All this, um, I got a few young guns um, on their way in the amateurs. Uh, Chris Meard, um, Nick Nick Brown, Luke Gagas, um, Jackson Murphy. So I got quite a few coming up coming up in the uh, in the rankings. Uh, Josh Josh Bayless, yeah. Is it quite competitive in your stable amongst your fighters? Yeah, and they love it. They love the competitiveness. They love the sparring. They love the Saturday morning kickoff in the gym at 9 a.m. They get all the fighters to come in 9 a.m. after the after the boxing classes that I teach, 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. classes, and then 9 a.m. they start sparring. So Thursdays and Saturdays are big sparring days. They love it. The reason I ask is uh, in regards to the, the uh, competitiveness in your own gym, you uh, appeared on The Contender a few yeah, years ago, yeah. season three. Now, is that anything with the fighters that you have at the moment? Have you tr- have you transferred anything that you experienced in the contender? Oh, mate, you can't. That was such a beautiful experience. Eh? I'd fought eight of the contenders because on the, outside of the show, in other boxing events, I fought fighters that fought on other seasons in general fights. So um, it was very special to me, the contender, and uh, and I won the I beat the gold medalist um, in the Australian contender. One of, one of his fights and I watched his training camp for his fight for it he advertised a lot of his stuff that he did which um, I thought wasn't very smart because you know, he's giving away all your, uh, all your secrets, all your secrets. Yeah. I took advantage of that as you do <laughs> but, um, as you do not only that he had a lot of great stuff he used to do and I've I've put that in towards my my training my fighters for their fitness and of course with the stuff I've learned throughout the years traveling around the world um, and and being on the show, my, uh, the contender myself, uh, with the technology of the training they had with Sugar Ray Leonard and Oscar De La Hoya and Stallone himself funding it and everything and, and, and producing it, it was great to meet them all, get the experience off them and now pass it on to the, the younger generation who are moving up. So how does that actually come about? Uh, do your management or do you chase to get onto the contender? Does uh, oh, Sugar yeah. Ray give you a call? Yeah. You know the Sylvester? Old saying, does you know the old saying, mate, you know the old saying, if you've got a bit of talent and then you've got someone that, that knows someone, they'll um, show you show their talent then the person that knows someone will say yes or no depending on how good the the uh, fighter is. So I was uh, very fortunate that I had a really good manager in uh, at the time. At the time, it was this, a guy by the name of Stuart Duncan, yep, um, and a, a good match, good matchmaker, very good matchmaker, manager of fighters and that, and um, yeah, and he had the he had the pull. He knew the the right people and and got us on the, on the great show. So Stuart Duncan, thank you very much for thank getting you very on. Much, yes, yeah, absolutely. And 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 then how lucky am I to go from Stuart Duncan to to my current manager in in Dave Stanley, got me a world title fight. So. Fighters' two dreams would be to be on a TV series that is going to get more publicity than any kind of boxing event in the world and then to get a shot at the dream of the world title, which is any fighter's dream as well. got from my other, my, uh, my, my manager of today, was able to get that and close friend. Yeah. So with the actual show, how long was your commitment? Do you, uh, are you asked that at the start you need to commit for a certain amount of yeah, months? Six six weeks. We lived lived in a place with 
say if you watch the TV series, the, the TV show, the Big, yep. Bro- Big Brother show. Yep, the, yep. So that it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same as that. You've got to live there in the house morning and night, sleeping the same, sleeping in all your, all your bunks um, with all the other folks. And, and um, if someone's snoring, you want to throw a rock at them <laughs> and um, smother them yeah the pillow. Uh, or talking to <laughs> but um no it was really good it was a great experience having having dinner and hanging out with it and the, the concept of the show was this that it was to show that boxing you can be best of friends hanging out have arguments with one mate and uh, with one bloke and and be mates with another you don't know who you're going to fight next you might be fighting the guy that you've been arguing with that makes it exciting or you might be fighting a guy that's your mate which makes it very to everyone's like, whoa, this is intriguing. I would like to see what's going to happen here. These, they, they've been mates mm. on this whole show, mm. and the majority of them are mates. Mm. You know, there's one in every, in in the in the seven others. There's eight of us of the seven others. Maybe one or two you don't get along with, or one you don't get along with, and seven you do, and six you do, and then you end up fighting one of those six. Very smart show. So, with the with the six weeks that you're there, how many actual fights did you have in that six week period? Three, three fights. Uh, two. And then you get into the finals yep. and the third fight, you come back to Australia, then they fly back to another part of America. I can't remember where the, where the second one was. I've been there eight times now, so I forget which one's which. Um, yeah, and that's where the finals was, was done. So that seems like a lot of fighting in that short period of time. Yeah. Well, how long were the bouts uh, for? You remember the three round, three round bouts of first fight, three yeah. rounds about the semifinals, then in the finals was a five rounder. And it's quite a quite taxing on your body wise. Very taxing physically. because of the training camp. Um, the pace is different. So I'm fighting so many twelve round fights. So you think, oh, geez, walk in the park three rounds or five rounds. But the pace is different. There's no working your way into it. There's round one is like round twelve in a twelve round fight for all three or five rounds. So you work it out. If the last two three rounds are crazy of a twelve round fight, but you're doing that from round one. It's actually more taxing in a different way because there's no warm-up. There's no working your way into it. You can't get into the zone. You just got to swing, strike from from the, from dot. Yeah. So were you able to bring Dave Hitchcock with you? Did Dave yeah. come on down? No, Dave, they, you have your own – they pick your trainer for really? you. Okay. It's a whole it's a whole new it's a whole concept. So you're used to a new trainer for that – just for that for that uh, contract that you're signed to, to be under either. And the trainers are great. I mean – so the trainer of my opponent was Sugar Ray Leonard's opponent, uh, mm-hmm. trainer. Mm-hmm. So it was like, but then I had Buddy McGirt who'd fought my favourite fighter, Perno Whitaker. There's a lot of special things happening in that event. I've, I've, I had a trainer that was trained that, that fought my favourite fighter of all time, Perno Whitaker, and my opponent was trained by the trainer who trained Sugar Ray Leonard. So, yeah. So crazy. when you got back to Australia, did Dave actually say, "Listen, if I was in your corner, I probably could have got you the top." It's funny, exactly the way you just said it. It's exactly the way you said it. <laughs> and you know what? I have no argument there. Absolutely. Right. It's absolutely right. So could we rewind the clock back and bring Dave in? You had no choice? There was no there was No, no, no contract. No, well, no fighters allowed to bring their trainer. It's, really? Imagine that. Imagine that the, the promoter would have to fly the trainer then, and the trainer would have to live with them as well. And no, it wouldn't work. It, it, they should. They, it's probably not a bad thing to, to bring up a, a contender with the fighters bringing their trainers, but it's not really that big a difference. Cost money, Sam. Cost money, money talks. Sylvester Stallone hasn't got that much. <laughs> 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 it wasn't in the budget. Yeah. We're going to fast forward when you actually fought uh, Felix. For the first time, Dave Hitchcock was in your corner, right? 
That's right. Yes. And the sweet the first, tone. So that, that won me the fight. That first of Feb, fight. 2013. That's yeah. the first time you fought. It was a world title eliminator. See, boxing's one-on-one, right? So yes. you wouldn't say there's, there's, you wouldn't say team because it's, it's only you in the ring. Mm-hmm. It's all about team. So mm. if I didn't have the manager, Dave Standy, organised at the gloves that they tried to give me, the gloves that they custom-made, Sturm's team custom-made. If my manager wasn't all over that, if my manager wasn't over the way, all over the way in being the times that there was meant to be, um, instead the times that they wanted to be, instead of the regulation times, the times that they, if he didn't go about all of that argy-bargy, get outside of the sport, then my mind would be on like, well, geez, this is too many disadvantages and this is why you go to Germany or you go to any country in the world outside of your country and, and fighting in their hometown. It's just boxing on. It's just like a whole different ball game to find at home. And so with that, speaking the team, Dave Stanley to be able to do what he did, then Dave Hitchcock in the other side of it, being able to outsmart my opponent and give me the instructions to be able to do it. And then I had to actually do it. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it was a great team. So you tell me there's been there's a lot of shifty business in boxing, Sam. No, is that no. what you're saying? Well, you know what? That's where Australia. We're lucky. We've got such a great boxing commission, and and, and they protect the fighters, health wise, politically, and all that. Um, we're lucky to have a country that has really good. Uh, but then every country in the world has their good and bads. In, in there's not a country in any sport yeah. that hasn't got all that. So were you told at the start of that fight, the winner, that is that is an IBF world title eliminator? Was that the actual, what you were told? Yes, I was yep. number two in the world. Yep. He was number four. No. Yeah, so he, I was number two, he was number four. So I, my next fight was to be ranked myself to number one. But no, it was before before that I was number two and fighting for, for someone for the number one. So when I became number one, I had to wait nine months for my next fight. That's too long a wait. Mm. So I had to be active. So... An activity fight. Most activity fights would be fighting some journeyman to be, to keep yourself in good shape to fight uh, for the number one mm-hmm. to fight to, to keep your number one spot. Yeah. I fought Sturm, which was not an activity fight. He's one of the, he was a two-time world champion. Yep, yep. So I took that risk because one, was great money. Two, I didn't want to fight no one. I don't want my record to ever show that I had hand-picked opponents. Sure. So two reasons why everyone was on my case saying, "Sammy, silly move." Don't do it. You're number one in the world. You're going to risk your spot when you can fight for a world title against Hopkins. And um, Don King pulled all the strings to make sure that Hopkins got Oscar De La Hoya instead of me, being that my fight would be worth three, four million for, for Don King. Oscar De La Hoya versus Hopkins will be 15 to 20 million. At the time, that was the kind of money they were talking. Now it's 100. But um, so money talked. And uh, he, Don King was able to pull all the strings, tear up all the regulations and throw it all in the bin and, and pull the strings to be able to make the Oscar De La Hoya happen. And even though I was mandatory, he was able to pay, make some invent, invent some kind of a deal so that I can get out, he can get me out, get me put me on hold, mm-hmm. which messed me up. Mm-hmm. So I had to take the risk and I took the risk, won the fight and happy days. We, uh, we got a second shot and won the world title. So the shot came 31st of May. What, when you actually won that eliminator, was Daniel Gill on the on the horizon as well as an Australian fight for you? Was that ever? Was there yeah, any talk was, there? Was talk talk about that. Would that have been a pre- preference, not having to go overseas fighting Daniel Gill for his world title at the time? Or I'm at the same for me personally, my own to be able to fight for my country in another country against one of the best in of their country of the world. In terms of he's won more than one world title, he's won numerous. And so it was special to me in that way. 
But um, of course, with Gil, it didn't come off anyway because his management at the time didn't want that fight. And financially, it was a bigger fight. Things happened for a reason. I mm. didn't get the fight mm. with Gil, and Sturm ended up being the fight. So you beat Sturm. You thanked, I remember watching you on the news, you thanked Tommy Hafey at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he must have been a huge influence on you in sure, regards mate. to yeah. uh, fitness, yeah. fitness regime. Can you tell me the influences that Tommy had on your career? Yeah, no, just like <laughs> meeting by chance. I'm, I'm just jogging on the beach, doing my actually doing my sprints, and he was jogging and coming coming the other way, and and uh, he stopped, and pulled me up, and said, "Mate, good on you with your career going forward. Well done, and all that." And uh, and uh, and he started giving me a bit of advice on things that he did, and you want to listen to someone at his age doing what he was doing. That and um, and you know, like as you know, as I told you earlier, how much I love my footy, and many many runs I'd had, and I'd always try to run. I always I was always up early anyway, running it. You know, I'd leave at five thirty for a six o'clock start running on the beach, and it's funny. Like he didn't need someone to get him up; he was there by himself, and I'd need no one to get me up. I'd be there by myself, and I think that something special about that was that he'd know, and I'd know that. It was hard getting up that morning by yourself in the freezing cold, running where you're running, and then jumping in the water after it. He'd jump in the water after it, and then it got to a stage where we'd be finished. I'd finish my track and be wondering, maybe I should have asked him where, which way he's going. And then, but then I'd be doing it. I'd be going at a different pace to him. I'd be going at the pace he was going back in the day. <laughs> so his fitness feats as well as yours, uh, they're on a parallel level you think you're going to be getting close to 100 and still wearing the tight t-shirt fingers crossed mate <laughs> fingers crossed just it's just so i can see my kids have their kids and that's pretty much all i really why i really want to be at the age doing so, what i'm doing so do you think you one day you'll just get fat and sit on the couch don't know about relax the make a don't sore. know about the fat part but uh to sit on the couch with the kids and talking about some stories would be like what we just spoke about now would be good put it on the vhs <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, I think I went, went far. I went as far as beta. Hey, you, That's got a, scary. you got some of your, your fights on beta. No, I haven't. No, no? That was, that was, beta was around, but I it just it just finished at uh, when I was like seven. <laughs> just in regards to your first defense, now your your first defense, you fought Jermaine Taylor. The issues that you had in regards to your knee. Can you please tell me, did you have that knee issue before or during or when did it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was going to be an ACL tear. Yeah. I had no idea. It was, I was, and it was, it was like, it was almost like it was hanging and on, on its edge. I, I couldn't have known that. You can't see it. You don't know it. You're just fighting through it, through the pain. Never had a, never had a knee injury before that. Oh, sorry. I did have one. I had a medial tear, but I, again, medial tear. So it, it's healed now, the medial tear. This was the mundane fight. Years down the track, I have this injury. I'm thinking, just like the medial, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna heal itself. Just give it time. I said after every session, put go through the pain and training. I said it when I finish. I said when I get home, wake up in the morning, do my training, ice, 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 recovery, do all the things I need to do. But not knowing that this was hanging off a thread and it was an ACL ready to tear. So if I had known that, different story. Right, Would okay. have treated it in a different way. So treated as best as I could. Had the fight, um, hyperextended it in the fourth round. Judges had me all three, all four rounds up against pound for pound the best in the world. It was like a dream come true getting a shot at Jermaine Taylor, who'd just beaten Bernard Hopkins twice. So he'd beaten one of my favorite fighters of all times twice. And then it just went. And when it went, I had to do eight more rounds on that leg. 
just was like a yo-yo, up and down. Kept falling, getting up, falling, getting up. A few times they gave me an eight count. I'd look at the ref and say, it wasn't even a punch thrown. I just fell. He goes, I've got to give you a count. You tell, you got, got, the, a punch was swung. I didn't quite, he didn't quite see if it was landed or not. Some just tapped me, but of course, the balance. And then the 12th round, um, I was like, survival. <laughs> it was a survival fight. So when uh, when a footballer has a very common injury in AFL, when a player does his ACL, uh, we, we know when he's recovering, he can only run in straight lines. So sideways movement, forget about it. So as a fighter, the that, the the restrictions you had with an ACL tear, yeah. completely torn, would have been that literally he was pushing you over. Yeah, well, Dave Hitchcock always taught us the angles and taking 45, so that was not going to happen anymore. And any time I didn't even try to do them because it's human, like the uh, subconsciously you do it when you see the punch coming, you can read the play and you go to do what you do, you fall over um, with one leg. Um, but uh, when the doctor called me over in the probably seventh or eighth round and said, look, I'm, I'm going to stop the fight if you don't show me something. I said, no, no, I'm fine. I just ran on the spot and said, look, my legs are fine. Because if you said to me, okay, now step to the right and step to the left, the doc had said that to me and I would have been in a bit of trouble <laughs> or jump back. So what conversations were you having the, with your corner um, during that time when after you'd done your knee? Were they also in agreement with the doctor? Did they think there was something wrong? With I had to whisper it to him because if the doctor yeah. heard, then it would, the fight would have been stopped. I didn't want it to be stopped. So I just had to whisper to him, it's gone. It's gone. I'll just do what I can do. And he just, and his poor, <laughs> my poor trainer, had, what could he do? What could he say? So what did you whisper? Christian was your trainer? No, nah, I just, yeah, just said to him, mate, I just said, just keep going the way we're going and, and uh, I'll try to get that lucky punch in or something. But of course, I couldn't put weight in my legs. So I couldn't get the power out of the punches. So I just had to keep going and find something somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So he went all the way. It was, an, it was a, went to 12, uh, yeah. went to 12, went to 12 on one leg. Yeah. And then uh, recovery was? I've so many times in one spot. <laughs> So recovery-wise, what happens there? You come home, you get the knee fixed. Yeah, the Lars. Yes, yeah, had a, had a um, artificial knee put in, artificial ligament put in there, and and uh, yeah, it was a it was a quick quick recovery because it was a Lars. Um, they put an artificial rather than take a bit out of your hammy and that. Yep. How were you coming back from injury? You seem like impatient one that you can't sit still. Your did you listen to? That part, people yes. giving you rehab that advice. That part, yes. I done double. So whatever they said, I done double. Yep. So they'd say do it in the morning and night. I do morning, afternoon, and night. Whatever they say, do four sets. I do six realistic sets. I'd probably drop drop the weight down of what they're asking me to and do take double the time, which was make it stronger than using the heavier. And um, everything I did, I do logically. So yes. I did. I lo but I logically done it the way they said. I only done a little bit more of it, and in more more times than that like i'd have a timer and my phone would go off four hours time okay go again and the, my time would go off four hours dog go again so it didn't matter where i was so if I was in the cinema i'd finish the movie get out get home do them and come back so yeah you left halfway through a movie to no, do no, like no, no. i'd wait till the movie's over <laughs> wasn't that bad <laughs> wasn't that psycho <laughs> you say logical right they told you something but you you just told me that you doubled it so I doubled it That's a illogical, Sam, with all due respect. <laughs> so the reason I'm saying saying this is because I don't want kids to get the wrong idea and then try to do it themselves and damage themselves realistically. So if they said to you, do it, do it with a 10 kilo weight, hypothetically speaking, then you would do it with an 8 kilo weight and do double the amount. So you do more than what they've asked, right. but with a lesser weight to not damage it. You know, And use your own logic. If you're doing it with double the amount and it's starting to strain in the last bit, stop. So have you found that some physios uh, you, that you're under treated you different to a normal person? 
I've had so many in my time, but I only had one in the last seven years, and he's been the best, the best of the best. Jack Dixon, everything he said, I, I, I stuck with, and, and everything he said, I didn't have to double the hit with him because he knew I was going to do that anyway. Yeah, okay. So he'd already give me the double hit. Because this is what I do for normal. That's what I'm going to do for you, abnormal. And he used to tease, tease me and say, call me abnormal. But, but he used to say, um, you're a freak, so I'm gonna, you're going to do it. You're gonna do, I'll let you do it this way. So he'd done that. He's sort of like, uh, of course, I done my homework and Google to see what, what you know, if, if he's saying that just to, to protect me. And he was, he always gave me the uh, the right advice. So recovery-wise, uh, were you recover the things that is now popular, common ice baths, this and that? Were you, did you, were you oh, aware of this yeah. um, many years ago when it wasn't trendy, so to speak? Oh yeah, I was. You yeah, knew. Yeah, you knew? <laughs> used to do it. Yeah. So what did you do? A lot of research. The research, yeah, a lot of research. Yeah. And as a lot of reading, like I read because there wasn't Google and all that back then. It mm. wasn't a, a phone where you just you didn't have a mobile. You had a probably a flip that had no internet. <laughs> There's no such thing as just quickly just Google it on your phone. So I just had to do it all. Yeah, I read a lot of stuff. I'd read a Men's Health magazine. Half of it was crap and the other half wasn't, but it wouldn't matter. In the end of the day, I'd read. I'd get ideas from it and go, you know what, that, that'll work for me. I'll give it a go. And if it didn't, stop doing it so your patient recovered did you sometimes push it to the limit where you've actually re-injured yourself and patient impatient so patient is in um i do everything that ask us to do and in, in what, in what I've, but um impatient is impatient as in i would do double because i know that it's going to get me fit and stronger faster to be able to get back into the ring so so with um today the peak boxing boxers peak between they say twenty five to twenty eight years old, the average fighter. Um, they used to be there. Yeah. They used to be well, yeah. you're yeah, another right. dimension no. out there, Sam. Because the the average boxer gives it away at about thirty three. Yeah. You're winning your world title at forty. Is there some? Do you have fine people coming to you saying, "Listen, where's this fountain of youth that you've been drinking you from?" Asked Sam, that all the time. Yep. There's not a only person in the world that can't do what I've done. This is, it's, it's, it's just doing the stuff outside of the sport, mm. doing the stuff outside of your football or your tennis or your cricket or whatever you're doing. That's, and I'm saying cricket, you say cricket, well, how hard can cricket be? Cricket can be hard, man. You're, mm. you're tearing your shoulder bowling. You, uh, you know, you, you, you're batting on that hard pitch all the time. So if you're looking after your body outside of the sport, no matter how hard to train, the harder you train, the lesser your, your uh, longevity. So to counter that, and to counterbalance that is to be able to do all the stuff outside, like spend the extra hours. So the training is two hours, say, you know, hour, hour hard in the morning, an hour hard at night, or whatever, whatever it's going to be. And then your other seven, eight hours is all included, the ice baths and the stretching and the recovery and the um, the active recovery and the and the, the diet, the, the creams you need for recovery to, to rub in mm -hmm. your injuries, all those things that you do, they take a lot of time. And if you can do all them things and train hard, which train hard is easy because that's what we love doing. We mm -hmm. wouldn't do the sport if we didn't love it. So if you do all the other boring stuff, which is boring, of course it's boring. But rehab is boring. There's no way around it. There's no put some music on. I love, I love rehab all of a sudden. But if you do all that stuff, yes, longevity, can. anyone could do it. Anyone could do it at 40, I think. Now, you mentioned a couple of your young fighters. I just want to quickly ask you the state of Aussie boxing at the moment. You uh, just recently, Tim Zhu fought over in Sydney against Richie. Did you manage to get a, did you watch that? Yeah, yeah, I was there for the fight. And what did you think? Go, had to go see What do you think? Were you impressed? Yeah, what do you very, think? very impressed. They're both, I'd done a lot of sparring with Dwight. Yep. Richie, I'd never sparred, I'd sparred his dad a lot, but I never sparred the young, the young one. And, um, and Tim, Tim, Tim did what he did and did it well. 
and uh, he held his own really well, uh, Dwight, uh, if you, for for this young up and coming, talented fighter to be able to to beat someone with more experience and do it the way he did was well done. So that surprised you as well, Tim's performance. Not really, because his style is nearly exactly the same as nearly exactly. I'm saying exactly. It's really hard to say the word exactly in boxing because you say, but no, he was. But his style is almost the same. Like he, he even looks the same. His face and everything. His style is how his his defense and his attack. Everything was similar to his dad. It's incredible how that was. Uh, how 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 the similarities they had. I've done hundreds of rounds with Kostya, so I can tell you now. His 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 son really. Mimics his style well. I've done a lot of sparring with with uh, Dwight, so I kind of had a fair idea how the fight was going to go. And uh, even though the experience went, experience obviously went with uh, the the 28, 29 fight, Dwight Ritchie, I still thought that that style would be the perfect style to beat Dwight, and it and it was. But uh, you know what, Dwight's Dwight fought so well, fought so good. He was a good fight. So if you're guiding Tim's career, where does where do you look now? I'd say probably he's probably five fights, six fights away from a world title if really? he if he does it right. Um, in terms of getting the right fights and the right, it's all timing in that in boxing. Yeah, I think in probably end of two thousand and twenty, he'll get a shot at a world title. Next fight, I want him. I want you to tell me where he should go. His next fight. There's a couple of Aussies fighting this weekend. Uh, Sam, Jeff, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Horn. And Zarafa are fighting. Yeah, is that something that if you're guiding cracker. Tim, yeah. we can fight? What do you think? Yeah, I mean... Is that an option for Tim? If either the Zarafa or Horn, or does he go overseas? for the promoters, because mm -hmm. they're going to make a lot of money on that. The names are hot at the moment. They're, they're, in, the, they're in the limelight. They're in the press. And um, publicity for this fight would be huge. And any any promoter would love to love to uh, uh, shot it. And money talks mm -hmm. the fight will can happen only because of the money alone mm -hmm. and and on top of that of course the opportunity so between the money and the opportunity why wouldn't it happen so between Kostya oh, Kostya <laughs> in the brain between Tim and and Zarafa or Horn um, there's no reason why that couldn't happen so what about this Saturday Zarafa Horn Battle of Bendigo yeah. do you have an opinion yeah, on the experience, uh, the experience the experience everyone says the experience of Zarafa he's um had more fights yeah but uh, i'd say the amateur experience of as i spoke earlier about the um primary high school uni um the experience in the primary and high school of 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 uh horn and zarafa's is in another league like i mean horns had this amateur career it's 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 second to none um and uh and done what he's done performed and, and had a good good so it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting fight because Zaraf off spars Zaraf many a, many rounds and he knows how to hit and not get hit. So it makes for such a great fight and makes for such a fence fight because you're you're on the fence with this one because you got one that's one has had the pro experience, one's had the great amateur experience and fought one of the best in the world and beat in 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 in, in Manny. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, it makes such a good fight. Are you going to get off the fence and give us a winner, Sam? I'm going to get off the fence and Go give on. you a winner. Anyone's game, anyone's fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. Is that what you're telling anyone's him to say, Michaela? You're saying your Michaela's shaking her head, saying, "Sam, don't give a result." No, yeah, yeah. I want to give the result. Go I, just, on. I, I don't want to upset anyone. Don't want. No one's listening, Sam. It's just me and you. I, I experience-wise, yes, in terms of pro and amateur and that, more fights 
has gone Horn's way in that um, Horn's beaten. Come on, Sam. I could, I could have said that, mate. Man. I can read the box rec too, Horns, man. Come on. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, <laughs> no, the amateurs doesn't have the box rec in the amateurs. So, Horn, you had a lot more experience amateur-wise? Yeah, and uh, and as a pro, you may not have had the in the number of fights experience, but who he's fought in terms of beating, mm-hmm. not who he's fought in terms of fighting, because Cal Brook and... and uh, uh, Peter Quillen. Quillen yep. are, are up there with mm. Horn's... Horn's um, mm-hmm. Uh, fighters uh, experience, but 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 Horn's beaten one of them, mm-hmm. and um, Sarafa hasn't. That's the only thing I, I got that is a huge advantage in terms of the fight going Horn's way for that reason. That right? step that that's, Horn has that, taken, that, that step's taken, and and he's taken it and successful at it. Mm-hmm. So that's the only way I look at it. And so in saying that, Horn. You're gonna. Yeah, can you so. give me the round two so I can have a few dollars? No, on no, it's crown definitely, bet. definitely go, this, yeah, go the I distance. Mean, no, yeah, Zaraf has been stopped by one of the best in the world, but he will not get stopped by Horn. Horn, he's he's got some sweet hit, not get hit um, maneuvers, uh, Zarafa that you can watch out for, and that's where he's every chance of of pulling it off. But but um, if I had to put money on anyone, I'd put on Horn. If the, if there was that, a market, if there was a market that had to be put on split. Yeah. My majority, unanimous. Oh, that's a guess, mate. I wouldn't know. Well, that's what we're doing. We're <laughs> trying to get win a couple of dollars, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah. hey, keep them busy now, Sam. I know you're doing a lot of work with the Salvos. You enjoying that? Yeah, that's fine. I'm working with the Salvos, working with the homeless, work uh, out of Sam's stable. And um, my gym's now my my main passion. I'm loving it. I'm working hard with it. Um, got a good team around me doing it. And, uh, and uh, been able to... Give the sweet signs to those coming up. Passing on. So there, how long is the gym? I saw that massive mural that's been... Mum did you, did mural, you get yeah. up there yourself with yeah, yeah. the uh, <laughs> paintbrush? How did you... Yeah, the airbrush. <laughs> I had a great man, uh, Monty. Uh, Monty, he's, he's, that's his, uh, his, uh, his name. He's, um, some, he's done a special job. Took him uh, six days to, to, make that, to, to uh, paint that mural. And... Uh, was worth every dollar I spent on it because he done a great job. Yeah. Everlast didn't he, pay for that. He's one of he's one of my. They've covered everything for me, so they've been great. So I oh, didn't want to ask for that as really? well. Really? It was the other way around. I did that as a thank you for what they've done for me. So I put Everlast beside Muhammad Ali as a thank you for uh, for uh, all the years of supporting me. Well, you too, nice, right. Sam. You could have squeezed <laughs> them for another few dollars. Eh? <laughs> no, I've done my squeezing now. It's time to give a bit back, and um. And uh, and also um, just for for everyone to know, I'm try I teach fighters in morning and night. So I teach anyone general public doesn't matter what age. Uh, so they're not to be night. intimidated that you're uh, the world, you're former world champ, and you just take Other on fighters. You're happy to take on everybody, yeah, everyone and anyone. Uh, Six a.m. every day of the week, um, seven a.m. every day of the week, and um, five thirty p.m. and six thirty p.m. every day of the week. So if any of those hours suit. Come give it a try. So was a gym in your uh, plans from how long ago? When did you start thinking, I want my own place? Were you oh, always going to have one? Always wanted one. Yeah, yep. always wanted one. Every, nearly every fighter has that thought across their mind, whether they've thought about it or the ambition to do it or just an imagining that they had their own. Of course, you're doing what you love. So how long you been at the South Bank? It's at uh, 35 Hancock Street, South Bank. Yeah, 35 Hancock Street. South Bank have been there now two years. It's been 
been a lot of fun. So people want to um, get in touch with you in regards to training. Is there, a, is a, they get online, Facebook? Yes, yes Sam's, Sam's Stable and, uh, and um, Choir through that. So it seems like uh, you've had a career that's just a beautiful circle, Sam. You haven't had to be lemon. You've been chocolate. Everyone loves the chocolate. I love the chocolate. You've got a good mix there. White, white and brown. Thank My wife and I. <laughs> white and brown. It's cafe latte, Sam. Hey, right there. <laughs> hey, we're both addicted to that here and I. We just, I just left there. We just had one. <laughs> cafe latte. Well, I thank you for your time. Thank you very much. You've given us the result of the Horns Arafa fight and you've also guided Tim on his next uh, courage. And thank you again to Michaela for organising this. She hasn't gotten on the microphone. Does she usually not say much, Sam? No, Michaela? She, she's whispered every once in a while, but that's about as far as it gets. How's Michaela? But what's Michaela? What sort of, what's she been doing with your career? She has, she's been promoting, promoting the gym for me. Um, just letting, letting everyone know about it, know that it's there and, uh, and letting people know to give it a go. So we've got classes as well. Uh, yeah, at boxing, your gym, boxing classes it is boxing for, classes yeah. for anyone, as well as personal age. training. Yeah, experience and experience it don't matter. Come give it a go, and uh, yeah, every day, Monday to Friday, six a.m., seven a.m., or five thirty p.m., six thirty p.m. I notice you also have women's classes as well. Yes, yeah. women's classes. A young lady named Morel, really good at what she does. I only wanted to hire the best to work for me, and um, she's brilliant at what she does, and. Uh, yeah, she does women's classes too, 10, uh, 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. And, uh, and... What days does... 10.30 uh, a.m. and 11.30 a.m. On what days does... 9.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Wednesday and Friday. Wednesday and Friday. So Wednesdays, 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. And then Fridays at uh, 9.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So for the comfort of your patrons, I did read that the, the gym is only women. Yeah, that correct. Yeah, yeah, it's women, women yep. only. Women those, only. Or those in those hours. That's yeah, right. very good. Yeah, everyone's taken care of. Michaela is always taking care of everyone. Uh, Thank you, Sam, for coming out. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exceptional People. For past episodes, please visit our website, exceptionalpeople.com.au. That's exceptionalpeople.com.au. On our website, you'll find links to iTunes where you can subscribe to the show as well as leave feedback. For Android users, there is also a link to Stitcher Radio and also a link to our Exceptional People Facebook page. You can find all those links as well as past episodes when you go to our website, exceptionalpeople.com.au. Thanks once again and bye for now.